Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. No economic indicators in the United States at 8.30, but Canada has just reported it added 40,600 jobs in March. The jobless rate there falls all, to 7. All NHL players All NHL players weren't going to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they've all gotten their uh, their part-time <laughs> jobs there. Uh Bill Dudley just about to uh speak up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and uh we're we're watching to see well here you, here are the headlines. Um he's still concerned about low inflation expectations. Uh there is significant uncertainty about growth prospects abroad, and he's calling for a cautious, gradual approach to rate hikes. No uh, fundamental change, I would say, Tom, in, the, in uh, no deviation from the Fed line there. Um, he does see the jobless rate falling to around four yeah, and three quarters percent for, uh, in 2016. This, this is the money headline that none of our audience, including me, is mentally set for. And I'll let you bring in our esteemed guest who's expert on this. The president of the New York Fed sees United States growth of about 2% this year above potential. Above potential. It's, nobody's framing that 2 or 2.2 or 2.x well. is quote-unquote above potential. Let's bring in a man who went to Duke University and got a degree also from the University of Michigan to wield his framing hammer and tell us what this all means. Obviously, potential growth is how fast you can grow without touching off inflation. But 2%, Eric Weissman, is very different from what we have seen in the past. He is a fixed income portfolio manager at MFS. Well, I mean, you're looking at different dynamics out there, especially in the labor market and in terms of how we measure productivity. We think productivity is less than 1%, and we know that labor force uh, increases are pretty minimal here and are likely to be low for the next 5 to 10 years. We already know that. So potential growth at 2% doesn't sound that off-base to me, and certainly it is a sea change relative to the Reagan and Clinton expansions where we would have considered potential growth to be above three. So uh, is this a permanent condition, the permanent new normal, or are we just still trying to figure out a way to raise it a little higher? I don't think we can say it's permanent. I mean, it may be semi-permanent for a while. It sort of depends on whether you believe in Robert Gordon's view of the world from Northwestern, his new book out there talking about how we've seen a 400-year one-off in productivity growth and all of the low-hanging fruit has been picked, and that's the end of that, or whether you believe that this next technological advancement only takes time to run itself through the economy, as have previous advancements, and we will see it over the course of time. 
I'm more in the latter camp. I think we will see higher productivity. Whether we'll see 2% productivity, I don't know, but I think we'll see right. something significantly higher than 1%. Do we see it in, into, into President Dudley's shocking headline of where a potential is? Is it a potential of a bimodal to America economy, or frankly, a, a nice part of America's doing a lot, lot better than potential? And is another part of America flat on their back, or has that always been our economic condition? I think that's always been the case to some degree, but it seems to be more the case today, and that happens during these paradigm shifts, right? So we have this new artificial intelligence and digitalization that's really disrupting an awful lot of the economy. And there is a school of thought out there that as many companies transition to this more technologically advanced methodology, that they're sort of doing two things at once. They're using the prior dynamics of managing their business while they're trying to bring online this new uh, digitalization, and that's sort of doubling efforts, and that will be the case for a while. That's productivity detracting. Alan Greenspan made the case last night that uh, the productivity is the real issue here, that if you were going to do anything to try to fix the economy to get potential up, it would be fiscal policy aimed at raising investment to raise productivity. Hard to disagree with that. Certainly if you look at small business, which tends to be a driver of productivity, if you look at startups, uh, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing credit go into that part of the economy. Some of that could be demographics. Some of that could be regulatory. Some of that could be just the aftermath of the global financial crisis. But we need to get money back into the system, and especially sort of oh. new money with new businesses. To come back and talk about uh, the fixed income business, are you managing the various fixed income uh, efforts at MFS for any sense of rising inflation? I think that you're probably likely to see inflation creep a little bit higher than where it has been. Oil prices fell by 70%, and then they fell by another 50%. There's only so many times that can happen unless they're going to start to actually give away the stuff. So at some point, those base effects will kick in, and I think you'll see headline inflation rates a little bit higher. But core rates are already somewhat high. If you look at core CPI, that's running above 2%. So I think we'll see the headline converge to the core over the course of the next couple of years, but it's going to be a long slog. Let's come back. Eric Weitzman with us with MFS as we consider. Really, they're the synthesis of what we do every day, economics, finance, investment. Mike, what else do you see in the Dudley comments? I'm, I'm fixated on Bill Dudley saying about 2% is above potential. Like, um, I almost look at that and think this is a typo, but it's not. Well, if you're a Fed watcher and you're parsing his comments, he says, the balance of risks tilted slightly to the downside. Mm. Our balance of risk is tilted to a data check. Futures up 17. Michael Barr is here now. Let's get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Secretary of State John Kerry made an unannounced stop in Baghdad today to meet with Iraq's Prime Minister and other top officials. It comes at a time of increased military momentum against the Islamic State group and deep political uncertainty in the unstable country. It is a major document called The Joy of Love. The document, which is 256 pages, was released today by Pope Francis about the complexities of sex, marriage, and family. The Pope has insisted that individual conscience should be the guiding principle for Catholics and rejects the emphasis on black and white rules for the faithful. 
Francis makes no change in the church doctrine, but says the church must no longer sit in judgment and throw stones against those who fail to live up to the church's ideals of marriage and family life. It looks like any snow the New York City area will get over the weekend has turned out to be a, eh, it'll be much less than first expected. According to the National Weather Service, the new area uh, new will get only about an inch of snow or less. That's down from about one to three inches of snow. Oh. Global news. That's good news. Did you say one to three inches? No, no we, we're going to get one oh. to three. But now it's tracked south, oh, okay. and now it's a uh, something. <laughs> Global news, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. All right, thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, which raises the question, John Stashauer, is the Masters going to get affected by the cold weather? Yeah, they had a lot of wind yesterday, but they're not getting any snow down in Augusta. But uh, a lot of struggles yesterday. Ricky Fowler had an 80, two-time winner Bubba Watson, a back nine 41. Jason Day ranked first in the world, triple bogey the 16th hole. How about Ernie Els, a nine on the opening hole? He six-putted from three feet. But Jordan Spieth, Trying to join Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Nick Faldo as the only back-to-back winners of the green jacket. Fired a bogey-free 666. He'll bring a two-shot lead to today's second round, which can be heard on Bloomberg 11-3-0. Today starting at 4:15. At the Garden Islanders completed an unprecedented season sweep for the Rangers. 4-1, they won the second period 3-0, despite being outshot 16-9. Two teams are tied. The one that finishes ahead plays Pittsburgh in the playoffs, the team that doesn't. Plays Florida. Penguins just won their eighth in a row, 4-3 at Washington on a Sidney Crosby goal in overtime. Tampa Bay beat the Devils 4-2. 70th win for Golden State, 112-101 over San Antonio. If the Warriors win their last three games, they break the record for most wins ever. At the stadium, in less than 24 hours, the Yankees scored 24 runs, 29 hits, 6 homers, 8-5 over Houston. Mark Teixeira broke a tie with a three-run opposite field homer in the seventh inning. He says everyone's hitting. Our entire lineup, top to bottom, has been um, producing you know, these first few games. So, um, especially last night and today, you know, we had contributions from one through nine again. Like Starlin Castro, believed to be the best start to a Yankee career ever. Three games in, three homers, eight RBIs, a 583 average. Yanks in Detroit today, and the Mets have their home opener coming up against the Phillies. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashel. John, thanks so much. Mike McKee, Mindy Masucci is walking around taller the last few days. The Orioles are undefeated. Undefeated. It must be the cold weather. Must be the cold weather. We're going we're gonna to get a report on that fairly soon, I think, in the next few days. We're going to be talking with John Angelos. Oh, I did not know that. Baltimore oh, wonderful. The owner I was of the in con- contact with him yesterday. We're excited by that. We're excited that they've had a good start. And we're always excited, since she's our boss, that Mindy is happy. David Price will start the Red Sox home opener. That's wonderful. Coast to coast, Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSBDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. 
Global stocks rebounding with oil while bonds of Europe's most indebted countries rose on the final day of a week that saw markets whipsaw and currency volatility approach the highest since 2011. Futures this morning are higher. S&P E-mini futures of 15 points. Dow E-mini futures of 111. And NASDAQ E-mini futures of 32. The 10-year Treasury down 9.30 seconds. The yield 1.72%. NYMEX crude oil up 5%, up $1.86 at 39.13 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2 tenths percent or $2.50 at 1235 an ounce. The euro, $1.1359, the yen, 108.65. Uncertainty over the outlook for the U.S. economy is higher than usual, which calls for a cautious and gradual approach to interest rate increases. That from Federal Reserve Bank of New York President William Dudley, who's speaking in a speech in Connecticut. Citigroup's head of equity trading, Derek Bandeen, will leave after almost eight years at the firm. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Future's up 15, uh, a risk field to the screen. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Frank Barry, an editor with Bloomberg View. Waiting online to board a bus for the Donald Trump rally, mustachioed older man with a big board of Trump buttons sauntered by. Five dollars each, he said. Two for six dollars, said a 20-something man. The peddler didn't budge. The prospective buyer, let's call him Buttons, raised his offer. Two for seven dollars. The peddler kept walking. This guy said Buttons. You believe him? Two expletives deleted. Buttons eventually left and came back with the goods. You get two for seven dollars, asked his friend. No, said Buttons. Two for eight. Gotta say, smart businessman. One expletive deleted. A man in a knit cap turned around. The art of the deal, he said. Buttons and his friend eventually made a run for the venue, and one of their buttons fell to the street. I picked it up, thinking I might see them inside, but I never made it into the rally. The crowd was too big. But at least I got a good expletive deleted souvenir. I'm Frank Barry, editor with Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or Bloomberg Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. This morning, Bloomberg Surveillance were brought to you by Columbia University's Executive Technology Management graduate program. It prepares technology professionals to drive business performance information at sps.columbia.edu slash tech. One more time, sps.columbia. Dot edu slash tech. Eric Weissman with us with MFS as we consider the bond market. Eric, frame how you manage a bond portfolio right now. Is it for coupon, since things are priced to perfection, is total return out? Well, it's still all got to be about total return, but you have to know you're not getting a whole lot of income from your coupons. So you're looking for countries that can offer you a little bit of extra spread. So you look at a country like New Zealand, Australia, things are relatively weak there. Inflation is topish and declining. Growth is middle-ish, so you might be able to get some spread compression there. And in Europe, maybe you look at uh, Norway where it's still beholden to oil, inflation has room to come down, and the central bank still has a little bit of room to cut rates. But there's not a lot out there that's offering you uh, compelling spread. Well, you got to put money somewhere. Where do you, where do you exactly. put it right now? You see how Mike said that so subtly? <laughs> Until you get your mattress ETF up and going. Yes, indeed. So, 
You know, I mean, I'll sound a little bit like a broken record from last time, but high yield, not quite as compelling as the last time we spoke, where it might have been around 800 over, uh, but it's still 650 over. It's still 100, 120 cheap to sort of where it averages. Um, you know, we like that. Uh, EM still offers some spread. It's a little dicey. you got to pick your points. It's cheap to high grade. And high grade offers you a little bit of a pickup over sort of its its mean over the course of this business cycle. So there is some spread out there, and you have to take a look at what your risk tolerance is. Away from the bond world, there's the idea of equity dividend is yield equivalent. All the radar goes up when that kind of idea is said. Now we have dividend paying, dividend growing Consumer stocks priced to 1960s perfection. Folks, we say this to the Massachusetts Financial Service, which basically invented the diversified equity portfolio. Eric, you were there. What was that, 1880? Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah, yes, it it's been there. a long time. It was the last time the Red Sox won. Um, hey, but, hey, hey. But, but Eric, the, the, basic, the basic idea of a dividend is a yield proxy. Discuss that. That's a difficult thing, isn't it? I think that's in, a moment in time. It's a nice narrative, uh, but I don't think that that's particularly compelling over the course of time. If you look at dividends and you look at yield, you look at dividends and you look at spreads, my sense would be the correlations over lengths of time are, are not going to match that narrative. So I, I would be suspect of comparing the two like that. The uh, noted bond investor and well, we have some music playing in the background here. Um, the, the noted bond investor, uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, suggested earlier this week that the bond market is not ready for the Fed. Uh, you're in charge of keeping track of the bond market. Is MFS ready for the Fed, um, or do you think he's too pessimistic? Well, I'm not sure how anybody can be ready for the Fed right now. I mean, it seems as though we're lost in terms of trying to figure out what the Fed's reaction function is. They used to not care about the rest of the world. They used to not talk about the dollar, and now that's all they talk about. So in September, they surprised us saying the rest of the world is too dicey and we don't want to raise rates. In March, they've done the same thing. Yellen's speech last week, uh, and it now seems very whimsical. And I think that's not a term that any central banker would want attached to them, especially in a world where ever-growing transparency tends to be a goal. You probably don't want to be transparent about your capriciousness, but that's where the central banks are right now. In terms of raising rates, uh, you know, I think the Fed is damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they raise rates and the dollar increases in value, mm-hmm. you wind up getting into that kind of vicious cycle all over again. And if the Fed says they're on right. hold, then it forces the ECB and the Bank of Japan to go yet further into negative yielding territory, and that has its own right. problems. Um, one final uh, question, if we uh, we could, Eric, and I say this with great respect for the heritage of Bob Dennis and John Jameson and MFS. Explain to me leverage is a suitable yield enhancer for retirees. Is there any proof it works? Well, that's a heck of a good question. I think that in an environment like this, uh, that's a kind of a scary thought to some degree. Uh, we're already highly leveraged. Uh, you know, we're right, on the balance where, sheets, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're in a world here where leverage makes a good deal of sense if you have visibility out into the future and you feel good about domestic demand, international demand, a little bit of inflation, uh, levering up in an environment where you can't see that demand, where the demographics are less favorable where they've been, where there's more regulation, where tax policy is uncertain. That may not be the best uh, prescription going right. forward. And I want to make clear, folks, there's two kinds of leverage there. There's a leverage within the system, the macro leverage, and the leverage on the accounting statements, and then the actual use of leverage within a diversified portfolio to enhance uh, yield. It's a little complex there, but I thought Eric's question was great. Dr. Weissman, thank you so much. He is with the Massachusetts Financial Services, MFS. Mike, I I want to bring it back uh, right here just to get a window into our next hour about what we learned this week. What I learned this week is the real global real economic effects are having profound influence on markets. And markets having a profound influence on global economies as well. You know, uh, hour-long discussion last night among the four Fed uh, former chairs, and I think Alan Greenspan probably had the most trenchant comment of all when he talked about productivity mm-hmm. being the key to why we're seeing such slow growth, and that, he said, is uh, slow right. because there is no investment out there. And why is there no investment out there? Well, you know, yeah. companies are, are uncertain. And just to paint the picture, folks, Mike and I are with Chairman Greenspan, and he comes into the room, and he's walking a little, you know, a little fragile for, you know, 90 Sits down, sharp as a tack, and he leans over. He says, "Tom, can we please talk about productivity?" Yeah, I mean th- that's front and center for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he, and he made a, a very cogent point last night about that. Interesting to hear from Paul Volcker again. Uh, you know, the audience was students. Most of them weren't even born when he was, <laughs> Who was that guy? chair of the Fed. Exactly. <laughs> But reminding us that all this hand-wringing over the political criticism of the Fed is nothing new. Uh, he reminded us that, you know, builders sent him two-by-fours in the mail. Yeah, and uh, yeah. he raised interest rates and farmers yeah. demonstrated outside the Fed and hung him yeah. in effigy. So yeah. uh, it goes with the territory. Yeah. I hope you guys like how we do economic history uh, here. We, we really believe you have to have a look back to look forward. And sometimes there's not enough of that in our rushed uh, modern world. We're going to continue our dialogue on this Friday. Friday. After yesterday, it's a decidedly better feel with yen is the global proxy, a 107 and change yesterday. And then really in the low 108, 108.10, 108.2, And we have a weaker yen to 108.69. But still, that's massively strong compared to where we were a week or two uh, ago. We're going to continue that discussion. Robbie Feldman of Morgan Stanley with us earlier this morning. We're going to continue that smart discussion with John Vale. He will join us from Nico Asset Management. Can't do better than that. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 